Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Sadly, this is what home sounds like for many of America's heroes. During this crisis, many veterans are living on the street, sleeping on nothing more than cardboard. You can help. Donate at CardboardToHeadboard.org. Hey there, Fangirl Nation. You are listening to Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and I am so excited to be joined today by Lindsay Jones, Senior Writer for The Athletic. Lindsay shares so much valuable insight, including the importance of getting journalism reps and not racing to cover the biggest thing. She also talks about the myriad of opportunities in the sports industry and how to tackle the challenges of social media, especially for women working in sports media. Beyond that, Lindsay talks about seeing football through her daughter's eyes while we share our praise for Nickelodeon's wildcard broadcasts. So much to learn, so let's get to it. Welcome to Get My Job. We are recording this after the Super Wild Card Weekend, which was so much fun and I definitely want to talk about. But first and foremost, welcome and thank you for joining me today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, I think let's jump right in. Uh, I have a question a little bit down the road about the column you just wrote about the Nickelodeon broadcast and want to talk a lot about that because I just thought it was the most fun and I don't know why there's not slime everywhere we go now. Um, But before we get there... I was hoping you could take us a little bit through your professional journey um, that brought you to the athletic where you are today, and then we can kind of go from there. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think um, I followed kind of a fairly like traditional journalism path, a path that I'm not sure how much is it, how much it exists in that form anymore, just because of the way that the journalism business has changed so much. Um, but yeah, so I, I went to college at Emory University in Atlanta, where I majored in journalism and political science, kind of thought that I was going to be a lawyer, like I was pretty much planning on going to law school, or at least somehow in the law field, like I was planning to go to law school, and then wherever that would lead me. But then I loved working for the campus newspaper, started doing journalism internships. Um, one of those internships was at the Palm Beach Post, which led me to my first job out of school. They hired me after I graduated, but I actually started as a news reporter. I covered, um, my beat was K through 12 education. Oh, wow. Zero. So I covered you know, school board meetings, school board elections, um, the No Child Left Behind Act. Um, and then I also did a lot of like, just hard news coverage, cops, courts, you know, Sunday shifts where you go and cover festivals. It was mm-hmm. a lot of you know, like the jail checks, you know, you're literally <laughs> driving to a jail and going through their jail logs, looking for anything interesting, you know, just a lot of, a, you know, like old school news reporting. Um, and I did that for about a year and a half until the paper that I was working at the Palm Beach Post um, announced that they were hiring another high school sports reporter. Um, 
expanding in Palm Beach County. And uh, I applied. I had covered sports in college, although Emory University does not have football. So I wrote about soccer, women's basketball. But I was a sports editor. And, uh, you know, and so I emailed our the sports editor at the paper. And I just said like, Hey, can you, can we talk about this job? I'd love to at least talk to you about it. And uh, they brought me down for an interview and um, negotiated with my news editor to, uh, to have me switch departments. So that was back in actually technically started my sports job in November, 2004. They, the part of the negotiation was that I had to stay through the 2004 election and okay. the news to cover all the school board elections and stuff that I, that were on my beat. But so that's how I switched over and I started covering high school football in South Florida, which if you know anything about high school football, South Florida is one of the best places to cover to, to cover football. Um, I was in Western Palm Beach County, so I was covering um, Belglade, Pahokee, Glades Day that are just it's these tiny, really poor rural towns um, that are just a hotbed for football talent. There's just a ton of NFL players who have come out of there. I know, Tracy, I know you're based in San Francisco. Anquan Bolden is one of the most famous players mm-hmm. that come out of the muck. And it, 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 that's what they call it. They call it muck city. So um, Anquan Bolden, um, Santonio Holmes, Janoris Jenkins, uh, who plays for the Saints right now. I covered him when he was in high school. So that was really where I got my sports start. And I did that. I was there for a few years and then I got promoted to cover the University of Florida. So I moved up to Gainesville and I was there while I was there for Tim Tebow. Heisman year. Oh, wow. One of the national basketball championships. Um, and then the Denver Post had an opening to cover the Broncos. And I'm from Colorado. And I just, I was, I was ready to come home to Colorado and feel incredibly lucky and grateful that the Denver Post uh, hired me for, for that job. So May of 2008, I moved home to Colorado to start covering the NFL. And I've been uh, covering the NFL since. So I think I, this, this season right now, I believe is my 13th that's right. My first season was 2008. Um, I was at the Denver Post for about four and a half years, went to USA Today as a national reporter, was there for almost six years, and then have been at The Athletic since August of 2018, um, all you know, covering the NFL almost exclusively since then. Jumped in on other sports here and there while I was at USA Today, but it's been primarily football uh, all year round. And I want to go back a little bit to covering high school football because we've had a couple other guests on here that that had their start as well. And they've talked about what valuable experience that is because you really understand how to cover a beat. And I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would not trade that experience for anything. And, you know, I think we might at some point, you know, talk more about like advice for young journalists and stuff. Mm -hmm. But it is it was so valuable to me because you know, football is football, whether you're covering, you know, a 2A high school game or the Super Bowl. I mean, the football part of it is the same. And the access you get at the high school level to directly talk to coaches, to watch practices, to cover games from the sidelines, to really just kind of understand what, you know, X's and O's and schematic stuff. And now here in the NFL, a lot of the stuff that's happening in pro football started in high school football. So, you know, when it was the mid 2000s, when I was covering high school football in South Florida, when everything was going to spread, you know, when they were putting their best athletes at quarterback. And that's the stuff that now we're just now finally seeing happening in the mm-hmm. NFL, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there is this race for young journalists to just want to cover the biggest thing, whether that's covering the NFL or covering the NBA. But 
if you jump right into covering the NFL, I think there's just a lot of the journalism education and a lot of the football education that you would that you would miss by not not covering those beats. And you know, the journalism business right now, the newspaper business especially, is so different now than when I first got hired in 2004 and when I first started covering um, high school football. In that, you know, not a lot of staffs have a full, you know newspapers have a full time high school sports staff anymore. Mm-hmm. But if anything, that does mean that there's there's just a lot of opportunity there to to tell those stories and find places to do it and string, you know, whether it's working as a freelancer or helping with your newspaper, you know, your local newspaper or you know, different websites, because those those games aren't being covered as heavily as they used to. But um, but I loved it. I mean, I some of my favorite stories I've written, um, just some of the most memorable, memorable games, you know, were you know, covering high school football. And there's just something, too, that's really gratifying of knowing that the, every single story that you write when you're covering preps, whether that's football or swimming or tennis or whatever, you know, and I did, and I did all of that stuff too. You know, I covered state swim meets and um, state softball tournaments and all of those sorts of things. There is somebody who is literally cutting out that article and putting it into a scrapbook and saving mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, I, I you know, how many stories I've written about Von Miller or Peyton Manning. Look, Olivia Manning's not cutting out the story that I wrote for USA Today about Peyton Manning and saving it. But you know that every single high school athlete, like this is something that they're going to remember for the rest of their lives. It's going to matter to them. It's going to matter to their parents. Um, and, you know, there's just so many important stories, I think, that can be told. They're great stories that maybe aren't getting told because there aren't as many newspapers covering preps anymore. So don't overlook covering prep speeds. Don't look down upon it as like, I want to be covering the NFL or I want to go to the Super Bowl. You know, this is beneath me. It is not beneath you. It is great experience. So many good stories and really important stories that can be told there. And it's just a really good way to get your foot in the journalism door and get the the real life reporting reps that you're going to need throughout your career. When did you discover that you loved to write? Yeah, I mean, that was pretty early, I think. Um, you know, I worked, uh, you know, I, I was just was really interested in journalism. Um, mm-hmm. I was like a voracious news consumer as a child, um, and especially sports media as well. I mean, we watched my brother, my younger brother and I, we would always have sports center on in the mornings instead of, um, instead of cartoons, like Saturday mornings, we would watch mm-hmm. sports and sports center. And, um, so I, it was all kind of always part there, you know, but I, I guess I realized pretty early on that writing came not necessarily easily, but it came a lot more easily to me than some of my other classes that I took in school, math, science, and I liked those things, but writing just felt natural. And I was really lucky the high school, my high school, Fort Collins High School in Colorado had a really good journalism program and a tremendous journalism instructor and a really good high school newspaper. Like it was, it was a course that you had to apply to. You had to take the journalism class before, and then you would apply to get onto the the newspaper staff. And um, I'm, the work that we did there and the lessons, you know, we it was, it was really, really foundational to me. Um, so I, I realized then that it was something that I liked. It was something that I was good at. I still wasn't convinced. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. grow up thinking, like, oh, oh my God, I want to work for Sports Illustrated or, you know, I want to be a newspaper reporter. It was just something that I knew that I liked and that I was, that I was good at. And the more I did it in college, the more that it really kind of made sense is that this is, this is going to be probably the way that my career is going to take me. And it is interesting that those 
honestly what you learn in high school and college. Because I did, I wrote for my paper in high school. I wrote in college at the University of Michigan. And then I worked for Fox Sports a little bit after college. And then I kind of got away from sports journalism for a while. And then when I came back to it, though, all those things that I had learned so early on still really rang true. And so I just also would encourage people who are listening to like, if you're interested in that, work for a high school paper, work for a college paper, your paper, you're going to learn so much there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, take, you know, all of that stuff is is valuable, right? I mean, the the foundations of journalism about, you know, how to write a lead, you know, the, even some of the most basic stuff about, you know, writing stories in an inverted pyramid style, like that stuff still matters no matter where you're working. And, you know, probably a lot of us could stand to go back to the basics of the basics of journalism from time to time. But there are a lot of different avenues now to get into the business that exist now that did not, that were not around. I mean, look, I'm, I'm old enough that, you know, my high school newspaper was not being published online. Like I, that Facebook did not exist when I was in college. So social, you know, I didn't have social media until I was actually already at the Denver post. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this has changed so much. There's so many ways that you can start writing, you can start reporting. Um, and that, so that if it's something that you're interested in, you should you know, pursue that in whatever avenue that, whatever way that looks right now. So fast forwarding a little bit, we're going to jump around a little bit chronologically, but fast forwarding a little bit, um, you've talked a lot this season about your daughter and her, the love she has for football and that she loves the Vikings because they're purple. And I love that. Um, my niece actually has a similar thing. My brother and I went to the University of Michigan and she has decided she likes Ohio State because they're red. Oh, um, no. And so, yeah, which is, I mean, really the worst possible outcome. Um, but I, but she's loving football and she loves learning about football. So, you know, it's it's been great to listen to and to read on Twitter kind of her commentary on the game and, and what she talks about. So can you just kind of talk a little bit about what that has meant for you and you know, it combined with the Nickelodeon broadcast, which you just talked about, and I want to talk more about kind of how maybe that's changed your perspective a little bit on, on how you cover the game. Yeah, well, I mean, I, this has been a really challenging year, I think, right, for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you know, working parents that are trying to do our jobs uh, while we have children at home. And look, you know, I've been mostly work from home since I guess 2007, I guess, when I moved to Gainesville to cover UF, you know, where I haven't been in a physical newsroom. I mean, technically I had a, you know, a desk or a, you know, I had like a a key card to get into the Denver Post building, but I didn't work there. You know, I either worked at my house or in a press box or a media room or whatever. So the the working from home part wasn't unique. The working from home while trying to parent Mm -hmm. was, was definitely challenging. So I felt like I almost had no choice but to like bring her into my world and um, make her a part of this. And, you know, for a long time, I was very, and I still am, I will say this, I still am somewhat reticent, even though I've opened this kind of world up. I've been very hesitant to share anything about her specifically on social media, on Twitter. Like my Instagram account is private because I post a lot of pictures of her and mm-hmm wanted to keep that private and to a place where it's only people that I know. Um, my Twitter account is my public facing social media. And so I largely have kept her off of there. You know, I would make references to like mom life stuff, but I would never post pictures of her or like really even say her name. And this year, she just became so much a part of my professional life too, that I felt like, all right, well, here we go. And um, it's been very positively received. I am still a little, you know, you never, I, at some point, I'm afraid that it might come back to 
to bite me, you know, right? You know, there's so many bad people out there on the internet, but she's enjoyed it. It's been something that she now gets really into. She wants to watch football. She wants to make her football pick. She wants to watch football with me. Her attention span is very small, <laughs> you know, <laughs> down and watch an entire game with her. But there are, we now have a routine where she wants to watch games at night. And I live in Denver, mountain time zone, which is the best time zone for live sports. I will die on that hill. But what <laughs> Primetime games kick off at 6.20. You know, that's kind of usually right after we finish dinner. They're going during bath time, bedtime, the fourth quarter, third third to fourth quarter is usually like bedtime. So our routine now has become, mommy, is there football tonight? And, you know, because usually I'll have been watching. I'll, I'll have it on my phone while she's in the bath or something. Mm-hmm. So I pay attention because I need to know what's happening. Um, right. I will admit that I'm not watching primetime games with as much attention as I do the other games. I'm usually going back and watching them on Game Pass the next day when I can give them give them my undivided attention. And so we we get in her bed and we turn off the lights and we we watch football on my phone. You know, we use the Yahoo app and we we watch games and she asks the, the cutest questions and she wants to know well, who's that player? She's and it'll be anybody right who's 76. And a lot of times we're like, I don't it's like, you know, it's punt coverage or something. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know who that player is. But then sometimes she asks legit stuff about, you know, why something happened is, did a player get hurt? Um, how many points do they have? We've done a lot of, you know, working on greater than, you know, mm-hmm. hey, the, the, the Seahawks have, uh, or the, the Seahawks have more than the, the Falcons or whatever it might be. You know, we talk about numbers and so it's been it's been fun. It's been a nice little silver lining, I think, to this year that's been so different. I mean, normally I would be traveling a ton. I have not traveled for a single game since the Super Bowl. I went to three games in Denver, you know, that I could just drive a couple miles up the highway to go to. Um, I probably am not going to be traveling for postseason games until the Super Bowl. So, you know, I've been home and we've had just a ton of time in our personal life and our family or my professional life and my family life have really become, become one. And it's been hard, but it's also been, you know, it's really just kind of changed my perspective a little bit on it as well. It's funny, my niece, um, a few years ago, she's actually almost 10, but a few years ago, uh, she used to say calling camp campermint is what she would call him calling campermint. And then you know, when he wasn't playing, she wanted to know, well, who replaces Colin Campermint? Why is he Campermint? It was always Campermint, which is great. Even when she knew how to say it, she decided that it was called Campermint. Um, and I know I wanted to create a line of Campermints. I thought that would have been great. Um, and, you know, but she would ask questions and, and who replaces him and how how will he know what to do? Will he know what to do as, as well as Colin Campermint? And, and it's, it does create questions and really teaches them about the game in a really organic way. Um, so that's really fun and it's fun to hear that. Uh, what is the, what would you say is that you said she asked a lot of questions and really cute questions. What's the, is there a question she's asked in a way that you're like, that's so cute, but also so profound. Oh man. Yeah. Um, it's, there's a lot of stuff about like, did he get hurt? And that's an interesting discussion to have. And I know that one of my colleagues at the athletic wrote a story that was a, a more critical angle on the Nickelodeon broadcast. I thought the Nickelodeon broadcast was great, but one of my colleagues, Dan Kaplan, he wrote a story that raised the questions about like, well, did Nickelodeon gloss over the violence that comes, that's inherent to football? And, and that's the discussion that we've had to have. And we've also, um, she also just kind of 
has organically asked or organically talked about like, well, I want to play football. And when I play football and she just, it doesn't occur to her that she's only watching men um, Mm -hmm. and that, you know, it's not normal. It would not be normal for girls to play football. And, you know, and it's something that I'll have to kind of at some point, I guess, grapple with as a parent too, about, um, football safety and youth football and all that sort of stuff. I mean, here in Colorado, they don't, I don't, I don't know if there's any tackle options for girls. There's flag football is not even a sport really. It's not a sanctioned sport or anything here, but it's just interesting that just the way that she kind of looks at it and is like, well, when I play football and, um, you know, so last weekend during the wildcard games, I pointed out to her, the female coaches, mm-hmm. um, I've, that we've seen and I've like talked about how cool that is and how how unique and special it is that there's women working in football you know I just want her to know that it's to, to see that it's normalized and that you know football is for her just like it is for the, the little boys in her pre-k class well one 100 i Totally agree with that. Let's talk a little bit about the Nickelodeon broadcast. Um, I did see that your call your colleague had written a- an article about that. Um, I I completely understand what he's saying, uh, but I also like you absolutely loved it. You know, as a full on adult who was not watching it with a child. I mean, at one point, I literally screamed slime, 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 and clapped my hands. Um, <laughs> and my dogs were a little confused. Um, but I was just I think it was on the Al- an Alvin Kamara touchdown. But I just got so excited. Um, and I, I will say, aside from the fact that I do think they did a great job and I think they did a great job kind of explaining the game and explaining the game in a way that wasn't condescending, but that was, you know, really geared towards kids. um, I also thought it was just really fun. And sometimes I think we forget that football is a really fun sport and it is a game. And I, that was a good reminder, at least to me. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's so many people like in this like sports media space and this NFL media space who really do take it so seriously, you know, and it's whether it's, you know, the kind of the, the, the scheme lords or the, the analytics guys or the, you know, the real like hardcore football guys that like you didn't play, you can't talk about football type of guys where like, it is a game and it should be fun. And, you know, I love those moments when you're just watching something ridiculous happen on the field. And you just, you know, it's, it's happened to me in press boxes before. I mean, I, I think um, actually it came up in my memory, my time hop, you know, time hop out memories. <laughs> but a year ago today was the divisional round game when the Chiefs came back against the Texans. And I just remember like sitting there in that press box in the third quarter, just like almost cackling because you're just like, what? is happening like this right. is ridiculous right now like what am I actually watching and it is fun and it should be fun and you know I, I just thought they did a really good job of you know bringing the game to a new audience explaining it in a way that would make sense to you know not just children but people who hadn't watched the game before and you know there was nothing condescending about it there was nothing um like I mean, it, it wasn't a joke, you know, like it was silly that there were the graphics. And I, I do remember, you know, being on the conference call with some league executives when they announced this back, I think it was in May that this was first announced and it kind of being like a Nickelodeon, like SpongeBob, like, what is that going to be? Um, and it was way better than I, I, I anticipated it was going to be. And the ratings numbers came out and they were terrific. It was about 2 million people watched that Nickelodeon broadcast. It was trending on Twitter. Um, and you know what the other thing that was cool and there was a there was a teenage girl, I mean a young woman in that booth. Mm-hmm. That 
is so rare, right? I mean, it's the first time I've heard a woman in a booth calling a playoff game, and it was a 15-year-old girl. And yeah, she wasn't doing it in a traditional sense, but how refreshing is that? And how cool is that for kids, boys and girls alike, to just have that normalized? to hear a woman talking about football and it not being like a, you know, a, a notable thing about her gender. Like she was just in there, part of this crew. And um, I thought that was really, really cool. I agree with that. And it also was cool because it felt in a good way. It felt like, oh yeah, this is totally, this is totally normal. We should yeah. hear this all the time. You know, it, in like the most positive, and I hate to use the word normal, but it just, it just was very organic and like, oh, of course she's in there talking about football. Why wouldn't she be? Uh, and she really did a fantastic job. It was, it was great. Like I, everything I watch now, I'm like, where's the slime? Um, I want, I want slime everywhere. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, I think it was great. Hopefully they'll do, um, they'll do more things like it. Yeah. So you- I think that was really, you know, one of my takeaways there and, you know, and takeaways too. So last year I went and spent, um, I spent a Thursday with Andrea Kramer and Hannah Storm when they called, you know, with, from their kind of remote booth in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. and doing that story too was, it was really about, and I, and I also, while talking to them also went in with the British, there was a UK duo was um, two like very famous soccer announcers who did like a UK feed. And it was so great and so refreshing. And my takeaway from that is that we have the technology. We're not, I mean, we're probably just even tiptoeing into all of the different ways that games can be broadcast and can and can be consumed. So there should be no limits, you know, other than financial or production wise or whatever on the way that we consume games and the way that we're able to, you know, the audiences that you're able to reach. So, you know, there was a lot of work that went into that Nickelodeon game and it's not something that I think that they could just do, you know, every week, just in terms of all of the graphics and the prep and stuff that has to go into it, but it was really successful. And I'm sure there are people at, in the television suites now and in, within the league that are wondering what are other ways that we can, how can we expand this? You know, I think the Nickelodeon thing almost for sure will be back. They need to make it kind of, a, not a, it, I don't think that's something that would happen every week, but you know, something that they do for special occasions for sure. But what are other avenues that they can explore to get the game to more people and in ways it doesn't have to be super expensive. I mean, the mm-hmm. Amazon broadcast where you have the, the all female booth where you had the UK booth this year, they added a film room booth that had um, Daniel Jeremiah and mm-hmm. I can't remember who else he had with him, but that was really, really smart. That doesn't cost a ton of money because they're doing it remotely. Um, you're getting really good experts in their field and, um, you know, I think it's just going to bring more people in. It will segment segment your uh, your ratings numbers or whatever. But if if it's at some point, so many of these streaming numbers are going to have to be a part of the way that we look at ratings, anyways. So um, it was great. I mean, it was a really really fun day of football because you know Sunday afternoon started with I watched the ESPN MegaCast. I did not watch the Monday Night Football feed. I watched the um, the Mina Kimes Dan Orlovsky. Marcus Spears. I watched their mm-hmm. feed during that game. I went straight from that to the Nickelodeon feed. And then it was almost like a letdown to have to listen to Collinsworth and Al Michaels called the Sunday night game. I was like, where's my alternative? I want something different calling this game. I don't want to listen to Chris Collinsworth right now. So you know, fortunately I watched it, you know, in in the dark and my daughter and my daughter was a little different. But um yeah, the more options the better, the more fun options the better. And 
yeah, that it, it was great and I loved it. And uh, it was, it was nice to see some really positive response to my column as well. And I don't disagree with you. When I watched the Brown Steelers game, I felt like this, I'm like, well, this is, this is fine. <laughs> like, which I wouldn't have a week earlier. <laughs> I'm like, this is, yeah. this is fine, but I feel well, like it's I would have had my grumbles with some of the columns or stuff. That well, that's okay. That, that's <laughs> That's fair. That's totally fair. Um, I can't, okay. I can't, I can't disagree with that, but I mean, just like the, in terms of like broadcast, I'm like, this is fine, but I'm, I'm missing some je ne sais quoi. Like I want, I don't know. I want someone from an NBC show to pop up and explain to me why they didn't go for it on fourth and one. I don't know. Like it would have been, you want like a little extra once you have it. And so, and I think that's kind of the interesting thing about doing these alternative broadcasts is once you do it, people are going to want it, which is could be both a blessing and a curse. Um, but I think, you know, in the long run, it is a positive thing and that gives them more opportunities to to try out a whole different bunch of options. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so that was good. Well, we'll see. We'll see what anything fun anybody can come up. I kind of I thought about the broadcast for this coming weekend. I'm like, oh, God, they're going to be like, what are we going to do? We need something. We need to add something different in. Uh, yeah, I the divisional round is it's always like my favorite weekend of football. It's not my favorite sports weekend overall because nothing is better than March Madness. Oh, nothing. But in terms of just like an NFL weekend, although now the way the wildcard weekend is structured, it might come close, but divisional round weekend is great because the games are almost always very competitive. You have, you know, you tend to, because of the way the buys are structured, sometimes the, the, the wildcard weekend, you would miss out on some of the marquee players, mm-hmm. you know, those past years where we had, you know, there was a wild card game a couple years ago that was Connor Cook against Brock Osweiler. You know, we're not yeah. getting, you're not getting any of that stuff in the divisional round. I mean, this year divisional round, we've got Brady versus Breeze, you know, Rogers versus Goff, which isn't quite as, you know, Goff isn't quite as sexy right now, but like that's still, you know, it's, that's still an interesting matchup. And then the other side, you know, you've got, you know, some of the best young quarterbacks in the game. We get Patrick Mahomes now, finally, we get, we're going to get to see Josh Allen. We get to see Lamar Jackson. Um, so you sometimes that's missing from the first round of the playoffs. So this weekend, I think I'll be okay with the like standard boring broadcast teams. Thank goodness for the Twitter as a second screen. Yes, for sure. I mean, Twitter, I mean, NFL Twitter is just, it's a thing unto itself, but I kind of, I love it most of the time. Most of the time. I absolutely love it. Um, but I, I was wondering this past weekend, I'm like, the 49ers aren't even playing. How is Jimmy Garoppolo getting bashed on Twitter? What is going on? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> I was like, what on earth is happening? They're not even playing right now. There's like literally no reason for this. But uh, yeah, I think we're going to have a great weekend ahead of us. Uh, and perhaps as excited as I am for Brady versus Breeze, because I think that it's, it's awesome on so many levels. I think the one I'm most excited for is, is Lamar Jackson versus Josh Allen, just because you know, you have two such dynamic, exciting quarterbacks going against each other. But I guess you could say that really for any of these games. It's going to be it's going to be a fun weekend of football. Um, so I would agree with you. The divisional round is a good one. I'm always I always get really sad by the divisional round, though, because then it means it's almost over. So it's like that, you know. Yeah. Championship game weekend almost feels like a letdown because you only have two games. Yes. You know, you go from having like back to back days and back to back games. Um, and then all of a sudden you're like, wait, it's just just two games on Sunday. That, yeah. That's it. But what what are we doing here? Um, it's kind of jarring. But yeah, it is. It is almost over, and it's been such a weird year. And we've made it. You know, it's, I don't know. it's really amazing. We've made it. Yeah, I still have a hard time like wrapping my head around everything that's happened, football wise, over the last few months. 
Yeah, I would I would agree with that. And it's and it's been different. And actually, you brought up something earlier that uh, I would love to kind of just get your take on because I think it's something we've both experienced is this idea that all of a sudden our press box is at home and you're watching the game at home and then you do Zoom press conferences after and it is a very different experience. How has it changed your coverage, if at all? I mean, it's a lot. I mean, it's it's been it's been tough. I mean, I think a lot of what you do as a natural a national reporter, what I do, you know, so much of our job is done over the phone. You know, you you're, you spend a lot of time talking to people on the phone, so that part of it hasn't necessarily changed. But just the like the being on the ground and getting to be in a locker room and have face to face conversations, um, you know, I that's been missing. And I know it's been really hard for the beat writers, especially who are used to kind of really having the pulse of their team by being in the locker room and getting to talk to multiple people. I mean, the hardest part I think for, you know, for us is that so much of the access has, it's just been limited. You know, I think we've all done the best we can with the, the zoom access. The hardest part is that it's, it's just the, the chances to get guys by yourself are way more limited, especially as a beat writer, really kind of at the whims of who is made available. And that can be really, you know, that's really frustrating. And, you know, and that, it makes it harder for us to tell those unique kind of stories. And, you know, then the readers, I mean, those are the people who suffer, right, is that they don't get the diversity of voices and stories and different opinions and stuff that, that normally you would get when, you kind of have access to a full 53-man roster. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful, I'm optimistic that it, this is going to be kind of a one-year thing. Not to say that we should expect everything to go back to normal in 2021 access-wise. You know, I think we really have to see how vaccines go, how this pandemic transpires. But, you know, I, I'm about to become president of the Pro Football Writers of America. I'm going to assuming they assuming the members vote for me I will um, vote for you I am a member and I will vote for you you have my vote congratulations <laughs> thank you I'm, I'm, I'm very intimidated by what we have what we're facing but also very committed to knowing that we have a lot of really important work to be done and we lost so much access this year mm-hmm. um, and understandably so right I mean I think we all understand why we were not in locker rooms and why we were not in press boxes in mass. We all have a very deep understanding and appreciation for that. Um, but we are committed to working, you know, fighting to get back as much of that access as possible. And all the people that I've talked to um, at the league office, especially, are committed to making that happen. It's going to be interesting to see which, you know, I'm sure there's going to be some teams, some coaches who are really unhappy that will be back in locker rooms. Um, mm-hmm. we, we're, we're committed to getting back there. I hope it's in 2021. You know, we're going to be now back on this timeline where once again, the NFL is going to have the the luxury of time that the other leagues don't have. I mean, so the yeah. NFL made it through the year, like the pre-vaccination year without a bubble you know it was it was tough but at some point we're going to have made it it's three more weeks or so till the Super Bowl and then we'll kind of get to see where the country's at where we're at you know in the summer I wouldn't expect that the offseason is going to look much different than it did last year but hopefully by training camp next year we'll be in a better place where we can resume somewhat uh somewhat business as usual that in in my head, um, that's kind of been the timeline as well. And it, it, you know, you bring up such a good thing with the locker room, and it's 
talk about you don't know what you've got till it's gone. It, it, as a beat writer, it's really hard. You know, there's just such a difference in being before practice, being able to walk around and talk to people after a game. It's just, it's a very different thing. And yes, we totally all understand it, but it really does change the coverage. Um, it changes everything. And I'm, I'm thankful I was able to be in the press box for most of the season. Uh, once the Niners went to Arizona, I was there for the Monday night game against the Bills and then, you know, stopped traveling entirely. But, you know, it was weird not to be on road trips. There's kind of a bonding thing that happens there. There's just, it's a lot. And we are very lucky and people certainly have much worse problems, but it definitely did change. It changed what we did or what we do quite a bit. Yeah. it's. And I, I'm really proud of the work that, you know, we've, you know, I can speak specifically to the athletic, but I know kind of beat writers and NFL writers around the country have, you know, just really adapted and mm-hmm. just really proud of the work that we've been able to do, um, you know, over these months that have been really, really, really challenging. And, you know, I look like, you know, my colleague, Jordan Rodriguez, who covers the Rams. She's and, amazing. And she's, yeah, she is incredible. And I mean, everybody should read her just, even if you're, you know, not a Rams fan. If you're a Niners fan, I mean, you should be reading because you know, it's the NFC West or whatever, but just the the way that she's been able to work around the access limitations in her first year on the beat has just been so incredible. And, and the Rams have been, you know, have been open to the ideas that she's pitched, which has helped. You know, I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of teams that you would pitch stuff about like, hey, I want to talk about your scouting apprenticeship program. And they would say, are you crazy? Absolutely not. Right. We're not letting a reporter talk to our like apprentice scouts. The Rams, to their credit, were open to that and, you know, people accessible when um, they certainly didn't have to. But it's really, you know, she's probably the best example on our staff of somebody who has really found a way to write impactful stories Um, and the the type of stories that we always would have written Mm -hmm. that were harder because of COVID. She still has just like pushed through, um, pushed through and done those stories. But yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm proud of the the way that most, for the most part, people haven't complained too much. You know, there's been grumbling here and there about different things and, um, you know, we're, but it's going to get better and hopefully we'll be back in those locker rooms sooner rather than later. Yes. We will hope for the best. We'll put all the good thoughts into that. Cause it would also mean really good things all the way around. If we can be back in the locker rooms, it's bigger than just that. Yeah, absolutely. So many good things uh, for everybody. So that I I am with you there 100%. Um, All right. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit as you've grown throughout your career and you've done a variety of different things. How have you seen opportunity to opportunities and a little trouble getting that word out opportunities change and grow for women in sports generally? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think just the, the 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 sheer numbers of women that I see on a well in a, in non COVID times the, the <laughs> women that we see on a daily basis now the women I see you know when I'm doing my job is my four year old and that's right. that's it um, but it's it's no it's not a novelty right I mean there's there's no there's almost no time now that I'll go into a press box and I'll be the only woman there you know mm-hmm. I've been pretty lucky in Denver that there have been women working throughout Denver media. So when I'm on site in Denver, you know, the, the Nikki Jabvala, who used to cover the Broncos uh, at the Denver Post and then at the Athletic, you know, she was here for a long time. And she was great. All of the TV stations in Denver have uh, a woman on their staff. And so, you know, it was rare that I would be the only woman. It, it's rare now that I'd ever be the only one. So I think that helps. I think the other thing that's been just really helpful just in terms of like, our coverage is football, you know, the way we cover football is that, you know, whether it's the players coming up, I mean, 
it's not a novelty for any of these guys to right. talk into a female sports reporter. They've been, they've been covered by women when they were in high school, in college, now into the pros. They see women when they're watching ESPN and NFL networks. So it's hardly this thing of like, Oh my God, there's a, there's a woman in here. You know, right. there's always like a little bit, when you come from college to the NFL and all of a sudden there's the locker room environment and that stuff that might be a little bit different, but you know, it's, it's just really been normalized. But doesn't mean that there aren't still significant challenges and significant differences for um, women working in this business than men. But just in terms of like the actual working environment and, you know, the newsrooms, the hiring managers, I mean, I would say one thing that's been very positive is that I, you know, I've established a lot of relationships around the industry with sports editors, you know, certainly people who work within my company, but then, you know, men and women who work around the country. And I get emails or texts or whatever very regularly from hiring managers saying like, hey, I've got an opening for a hockey writer. Do you know, I'd, I'd love to get some female candidates. Do you have, can you send me some names? Um, or, you know, I've got this college beat open or whatever it is. So, I think there's a lot more hiring managers working in sports now who at least are cognizant of like, we need to have a more diverse candidate pool. Um, it's important to interview women for these jobs. It's important to develop the women that you have on your staff, keep them, promote them, all those sorts of things. So I think that stuff has been, um, has been very positive and, you know, very heartening. I do think that some of the challenge, I guess on the, the negative side is that the, the negatives, some, you know, the, the, I'm trying to think of, say this eloquently here, but um, social media has made it infinitely more challenging. I think when I was younger in my career, some of the, the stuff that we had to face, like the challenges of being a woman came from being the only woman in the press box, the only woman in your newsroom, the only woman on your staff. Now, so much of it is being a woman publicly and a woman in journalism and what that means for your online safety, for um, what your mentions look like, all of those sorts of things. And that has, I think, gotten significantly worse. And that's not just for women in sports media. I mean, that's women working in any facet of media. I mean, I think there's, I think it's really hard to be a woman online in general these days. Um, But that, you know, that part has certainly gotten worse. And it's something that, you know, me and my female colleagues talk about all the time and something that I still don't think our male male peers fully understand what that means and how different it is and how scary and difficult it can be to be a woman working in this space. Well, and I think it's, it's one of those things that it's kind of difficult to understand when you're not in it. And we do, you know, we do deal with things that men don't have to, you know, if you have somebody who's DMing you incessantly, it gets a little scary. And it is different for men. It just kind of is, or someone who's making comments or whatever it is. I I would agree with that. So when you and, and some of your female comments are discussing that, is there are there any tools that you feel like you could share with young women getting into the sports industry on, on how to navigate that and, and how to handle those situations? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the most important things is, is that the the first piece of advice that you're going to get from whether it's probably going to come from your manager, it's going to come from your male peers is just ignore it. Mm -hmm. And you can't just ignore it. It, 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 You just, you can't, it's, you would have to be inhuman to ignore when you are getting um, barstooled 
for lack of a better term. And we call it getting barked on because like, if you mention them, there are people will come after you, they'll flood your mentions, um, they'll send hateful comments, they'll email you. you know, it's, it's really, really rough. You can't just ignore it. And to say just ignore it comes, is speaking from a place of privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a lot of, you know, like there are tangible things that you can do. There's a lot of stuff about online safety, making sure that you have all of your passwords locked down, that you have personal information locked down, which of course I say this now as someone who now posts pictures and videos of my daughter on Twitter. I know that can sound um, a little uh, hypocritical here, but just in terms of like where you live, where you go, don't put, don't location tag things mm-hmm. on your Instagram while you're there, um, you know, make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm an active runner and I make sure that I have my Strava locked because if somebody were to, you know, I don't want people to know where I live based on my Strava data, these, you know, these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that one other just like tangible thing that you can do, and this is if it's, if you're the one who's being harassed or if it's one of your friends, female colleagues, is one of the most helpful things is to turn over your account to somebody else. You do not have to allow people into your space. You can turn off dimensions. You can turn off who is allowed to reply to you. You can turn off who, um, you can block people. You can mute people. Do not feel bad about that. They're not allowed to come into your personal space if it, you know, there's been a lot of discussion, right, about like the freedom of speech when it comes to Twitter and social media. It's your Twitter account. And that doesn't give people free reign to call to send you death threats, to call you the c word, um, to threaten your family, any of those sorts of things. And you should take action. But you know, I have had this done to me, and I have done this for my female colleagues. Is you turn over your account, you say this is my password. Somebody else will check for you. They'll read those mentions. They'll report the problem, the, the, the most problematic ones. Um, they'll delete those all of the DMs. Um, so having a group of people, a group of women that you can trust, that you can rely on um, to help you out in those situations, because it's going to happen to every woman who works in this business at some point. Hopefully it doesn't happen very often. I know it ha- women who work in television who are on camera, it happens all the time. And just having a network of, of people that you can turn to and that you can trust and that you can rely on. It's just, it's just so important. And, you know, I would not get through my daily life without my numerous group chats with uh, mostly with other women, you know, women that I work with, women that I used to work with, um, but women who work all across the country in different, you know, different media outlets. Um, it's just, it's so important because our jobs are so weird. It's so different. You know, my, my girlfriend's don't, you know, the, my girlfriends that work in HR and that are doctors and architects and stuff, like, they can't understand our very specific, unique things that go on because of media. And so it's just really important to have that network of women that have your back uh, unconditionally. And you said something else that I think is just very important is don't feel bad. Block, you, you do not have to feel bad. They don't feel bad. The things that they're saying, they don't feel bad. Do not feel bad about any of that. Protect yourself. And I think that's an important thing to remember. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right. So then I have a question, not social media related, uh, but social media may come into play here. But if you could give our listeners one piece of advice for starting a career in sports journalism, what would it be? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about covering high schools. Um, Definitely do that if you have the chance and if it's a way to get work. Um, But I think... One of the most important things right now is getting the reporting skills. And that 
it's maybe easier said than done because because of the way the industry is right now. And, you know, the way that I got my foot in the door is not maybe the way that other people you, you're able to get your foot in the door now, but it's so important to get the real reps, uh, the way that kind of the business is or just everything is right. There's a million places you can write, you can self-publish. Everybody thinks of themselves as a writer or whatever, you know, that I can, I can break down film and I can write my, my stories about it or whatever, but the ability to get published and to get like the live reporting reps is really, really important. So if that means if you're, you know, if you're in high school, you know, work for the outlets that you have locally, if, whether that's your high school paper, your high school radio station, television station, because you have to, you have to learn how to report. You have to be able to ask questions. You have to be able to synthesize that sort of information. And, you know, Employers are going to get when they're high, you know, when they're hiring, they're going to get flooded with like examples of really good writing, probably a lot of really bad writing too. But what's going to separate your resume from anybody else's coming out of college, whether they're entry level jobs, whatever it is that you might be applying for, is that real life reporting and writing experience. And that's you know that's hard to get. But if you're in college, any sort of opportunity that you could get to be on the ground reporting and writing because those those um, those chances are rare, I think. But it's it, that's really going to provide the foundation that you need for whatever job that is that you're going to do, whether you're working in radio or television or a website or a newspaper or covering, you know, recruiting or whatever whatever it is, whatever the avenue is there or whatever you know wherever you're covering sports media, being able to you know really report. And turn that reporting into um, stories is it's just that's I think that's just the foundation there. And I think that gets forgotten a lot by people who just want to you know, be around pro football or whatever. Like the writing and the reporting is central to all of it. And if you can't do that, you're not going to last in this business. So any work that you can do now um, early in your career. Um, it's just it's just so important. I would also say it's really important to when you're doing those getting those experiences to get paid for it. There's going to be so many places that are going to try to get you to work for free. And um, this is the challenge to employers is to pay your talent um, mm -hmm. as they shouldn't have to feel like they have to work for free, but pay your contributors, pay your freelancers um, so that the next generation of sports reporters can, uh, can get the experience that they need. Is there a misstep that you see women making as they come into the sports industry? And you may have answered a little bit with the idea of wanting to get to the big thing first, but i um, just curious if there's anything else. Something that I've seen from a lot of young women, especially, so I used to run the internship program for the Association for Women in Sports Media. So I would deal with a lot of women in college who were applying for internships. Um, and that was looking at sports journalism very, very narrowly and seeing that there was maybe one career path. So this was probably in like the late 2000s, early 2010s. And I would get so many applications from women who say like, you know, why are you applying for this internship? It was a pretty basic prompt, right? And so mm -hmm. many of them were saying like, I want to be the next year. I want to be Erin Andrews. And Erin Andrews is incredible. And she is so good at her job. And she's been tremendous at her job forever. But there are so many different paths to working in sports media that are not being a sideline reporter. 
Um, right. And there's probably a lot more opportunities available if you're interested in working behind the camera, if you want to be a producer or a director or a reporter or um, working on the technical side or working in social media. There's just so many different ways that you can take these, take these make a career out of sports reporting that isn't just what you've always typically seen from um, from a woman. I think it's been pretty interesting the last couple of years now you hear a lot more I hear a lot more young women saying like, I want to be Mina Kimes which mm-hmm. is awesome and also impossible because Mina Kimes is a freaking unicorn because she is so smart so good at writing so good at, at uh, being on television so good at like football <laughs> analytics I mean there's only one Mina Kimes and I mean I would like to be Mina Kimes right and I just but it is encouraging to me too that they you can see somebody differently um, and that maybe you're starting to see more career paths, but I think it's just looking at saying, okay, um, you know, there's, there's just a lot of ways that you can have a really fulfilling, impactful career uh, in sports media that isn't necessarily being a sideline reporter. Well, this has been awesome. I think there has been so much great advice and, and just so many good stories in here. So I so appreciate your time. Um, before we go, of course, we have to do five fun facts. And as I think our listeners know, this is something I started with the 49ers players that during non-COVID times, we do one-on-one on my iPhone. During COVID times, we do on Zoom. Um, but on this on this broadcast or on this podcast, every week we ask women the same five questions. And it's been great because we get five different answers every time. So without further ado, it is time for Five Fun Facts with Lindsay Jones. All right, Lindsay, what is your favorite moment in sports? I have so many. (laughs) I've been having a hard time picking, um, picking just one. But I'll say that one that just really jumps out to me is, you know, especially related to like my career in the NFL or what I do now. So I was in high school when the Broncos won their two Super Bowls with John Elway. And I have the most vivid memories of watching the Broncos versus Packers game in my friend Josh Perrell's basement in Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, I mean, we were just like these crazy Broncos fans as kids and teenagers. And um just finally getting to see your team win a championship for the first time was, was really, really special. And um, it was really fun. My friend and I called our, we were supposed to have a chemistry test the next day and we called our teacher at home. We looked his number up in the phone book to see if we could have our test the next day. I'm sure he didn't appreciate that. <laughs> Amazing. But, um, but it was really fun. And, you know, when you become a beat writer, you, you know, the, the first rule is, right, they, you're not a fan anymore, right? They, that, that's one of those traditional things in journalism is you're not a fan. And I do sometimes try to remember, though, what it was like to feel that way. And to be that invested in in the team that you loved, and uh, so yeah, it was, that's one of my that was one of my favorite memories of being um, being a sports fan. What is your life motto? Um, <laughs> so bad. Um, I swear it's just like just it's good enough. Like it's it's probably really bad. It's not this like. Uh, inspirational message or whatever but like you just just keep going get it done mm-hmm. good enough um, and then move on to the next thing I think I think about that in parenting all the time is like just you know just keep going you're gonna get through this it's fine everything's fine so I don't I, I don't have a great life motto other than to just just keep going 
But I actually think that is a great life motto in all reality um, because sometimes I think we put too much pressure on ourselves and honestly, like we have to, you have to keep moving and you have to keep going. Um, so I, I actually think that's a great life motto. So you get claps for me on that one. Um, do you have, well, you kind of mentioned it, but go to workout. Sure. Yeah. So I'm a runner. Um, I got really out of shape during the pandemic. So I have only recently kind of gotten back into running shape and I'm looking forward to hopefully being able to sign up for some races in, in 2021, if that's something that becomes safe to do. Um, so yeah, I run a lot. Um, I've done three marathons, a whole bunch of half marathons. Um, but then the other, my other go-to workout is bar three. Um, I've gotten very obsessed with bar three workouts over the last year and a half or so. And it's really been something that's Hopefully, we one get back into shape over the last few months, um, but also just really become like a special me time uh, during you know, during this pandemic. Fortunately, I've been able to keep going to my studio and kind of in a different. It's, it it looks different, you know, working out in masks and small groups and all that sort of stuff now. But so the combination of those two things, being able to go to my bar workouts and um, and running, have uh, th- that's that's my special me time and what keeps me sane and has uh, and keeps me feeling physically strong and uh, strong and happy. Do you have a go-to coffee order? Oh yeah, so I mean, Starbucks is a triple grande skinny vanilla latte. Um, sometimes I go quad if if it's, if it's going to be a big day. I will say the hardest thing when I got pregnant. Um, five years ago was it wasn't like giving up alcohol it wasn't giving up sushi uh it was basically giving up my caffeine um Mm -hmm. that was that was really 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 rough but yeah triple grande skinny vanilla latte although give a shout out to if anybody's here in denver there's a coffee shop called wash perk right by wash park and they their specialty is honey cinnamon latte and it is the best i mean it is so good and um so if you ever at a coffee shop that you see a honey cinnamon latte on the menu, um, order it. You will not regret it. That sounds delicious. I'm gonna I'm gonna look for one. Uh, and last but not least, a book every woman should read. Yeah, I, mean, I think um, you know, I probably have a lot. But when I was thinking about this, I think one of the most like impactful books that I've read recently as a woman was Becoming by Michelle Obama, and she's just. You know, I just think it was such an important read for women about family, about marriage, about um, conducting your life with like grace and strength in difficult in difficult circumstances. So I, you know, I think that's my that's my pick. Fantastic. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me today. This was just a fantastic episode. Um, And if you guys like what you heard, and I know you did, please make sure to leave us a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. Bye, all. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Sports opinions with a side of satire. We're the first in tens, a weekly show delivering the spiciest opinions on football, life, and especially each other. And we can do that because we've been best friends for so long. I'm Amy. And I'm Jasmine. First in tens will bring you sports from the female perspective while also injecting pop culture, fashion, and music into our daring dialogue. We're saucy, edgy, and most of all, we We think think we're we're funny funny AF. First in tens, light on stats, heavy on sass. Follow us at firstintenspodcast.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early 
so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.